This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right. Well, today it's really just all about missions. We're, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit more about missions here this morning. In fact, I'm going to be inviting you and asking you to think about who you need to bring to Jesus. A key activity of a Christ follower is that they are bringing people to Christ. Okay? I remember when I first, uh, back in 1985, when I told my mom that I, I was feeling this calling into the ministry. I was a third-year student, engineering student at the University of Texas in Arlington. And, uh, and I would, like, you know, like I would sit in thermodynamics class and I wasn't that interested. I mean, I don't know how many people are actually interested in thermodynamics, but I would sit there and I wasn't that interested. But I'd sit in church and I'd listen to my pastor and i think, I just want to do what he's doing. And there was, there was a calling that was brewing inside of me, you know? And so um, it wasn't long. I then basically decided to go to my mom and tell my mom, and this is exactly what she said. Are you crazy? Why are you doing that? You're going to be an engineer. Forget this whole ministry thing. And the Latino mindset was, was that, you know, um, you know, ministry is for people that can't do anything else, you know? So if you can't, if you can't be an engineer and you, you can't be a doctor and you can't do other things, well then, okay, go, go into the ministry. You know, that's, that was the idea. And so I had this, this, uh, this, this negative thing that my family was just kind of pounding into me. And, and you know what? I'm so glad that back in 1985, I didn't listen. But instead decided I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go after what I feel God is calling me into. It's been 34 years, and I tell you what, this has been an adventure that I've lived in these last 34 years, following Christ, engaging in ministry. No, you don't have to, don't, don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Thank you, but don't clap. Um, yeah, some of my, my fondest moments have been actually in cross-cultural ministry experience. Well, so you, many of you know that we were missionaries in Bangladesh for 10 years, and and, and I mean, we've just experienced some things that are just fantastic, f- funny things. You know, like one time I was, uh, I was coming to a railroad crossing in, Bangladesh, in Dhaka City. You know, Dhaka is a city of 18 million people, so it's crowded, lots of people, you know. So I came to this intersection where a train was crossing, and so the train hadn't crossed yet. The, the, guard, the guards were down. And so I'm stopped there waiting to cross this. And, you know, and, and in a big city like that, trains, as they're navigating through the city, they go very slowly. Literally, they just inch along because they don't want to run over anybody. There's a lot of people. It's a very crowded place. And so we're sitting in my van. You know, I have my van. I have a bunch of uh, colleagues, work colleagues. We're on our way to, to, a, to a meeting. And we're sitting in my van. And the, as the engine starts coming up next to me, I look up on top of the engine. And there's this full-grown adult male, butt naked, standing on top of this, this train engine. You don't see that in the States, by the way. All right? And this guy's just standing there, and he's had his arms out like this, and the smoke was coming out of this stack, and he was just taking in all the smoke. He was just, he was just, he was, I don't know if he was inhaling it or what, but he was just covered, you know? He had a big, scraggly beard and long hair, and in, in Bengali, they called a person like that pagol, which literally means crazy. Oftentimes, they're kind of demon-possessed kind of people, but, but so he's, he's standing there, and, he, and the train just slowly passes. So we're sitting in the, watching this guy go, <laughs> just go by, you know? And, and here's, but the funny part wasn't that that happened. The funny part was that we were so accustomed to stuff like that that we just didn't even talk about it. We're a whole bunch of people in the van. We didn't, nobody said, you see that 
It, we just, it, we didn't even flinch at it, you know? Crazy things happen that we've been able to experience. I've been able to experience in Haiti, sitting in a church service, up this, this dusty road, this building up in Haiti, sitting next to some of the poorest people on the face of the earth, and just humbled and amazed at their heart for God and they're willing to serve. I mean, these people have nothing and yet they put on their best clothes. Damon, you remember in that church service, they put on their best clothes and they go and they worship God and they worship God for hours and they have nothing and yet they love Jesus. I've been, I've been amazed by that. I've witnessed young Muslim men come to me and, and say, hey, do you have the Injil Sharif, which is the... New Testament, Musulmani New Testament, and, um, and ask for the Injil Sharif, and because they're, they're interested, they don't know anything about Christianity, they don't know, they're just college students, they want to know more about God, and, uh, and so we give them this Injil Sharif, and they start reading, and I've watched, and I've witnessed, and I've been a part of young men come as seekers, then move to fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to becoming pastors and leading others to Christ. There's nothing that beats that. I am so glad that in 1985, I didn't listen to my mom because I've got to experience an adventure of a lifetime. I've seen things that just have blown me away. Life Church, that's 14 years ago when we started this church, it was just a handful of people. My son who was playing the bass, he was our bass player. He was like 13 years old back then, you know? He was our bass player. And we're just a handful of believers. And it's been a crazy journey, up and down kind of journey for the last 14 years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I thank God for the opportunity to have lived this great adventure. I do thank God for that. But I also need to thank Sister Slape. I'll talk more about Sister Slape in a minute. The reason why we talk about mission all the time it's because we believe that Jesus calls all of us, not just pastors, not just evangelists, not just missionaries, on mission. You're in church right now, and us coming together like this is really, it's a, it's a rally call. And say, hey, you're right here, we're just kind of leaning into Jesus, and we're learning a little bit about Jesus, but we're rallying you to go outside of these four walls and bring Jesus to other people. Each and every one of us are called. And being on mission is not, you know, for the, it's not like this boring proposition. It's not for, you know, like my, like, like I said, a lot of Latino mindsets, yeah, do ministry if you, you can't do anything else. It's for the tamed. No. It's a, it's an adventure. There's danger. There's risk involved. And I could tell you some of the stories about some of those things as well. In fact, this is what it says in John 20, 21. Again, just Jesus speaking. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I think oftentimes we read texts in the Bible and we read them, only half read them. Like we, we have a relationship with God and we understand it like, hey, he's, he's, he's wishing peace upon us. He's blessing us with peace. Yes, Jesus, God sent his son to die for my sins. And we forget the latter part of that. As God has sent the son, so he is sending us. And we walk away from reading a text without ever understanding the application to our very own lives. It's not just about getting and getting and receiving, but it's actually about learning how to give away your life as well. You and I are invited. 
are invited on a journey of a lifetime to give our lives away. We've been sent on a mission, right? In Luke, there's this really cool example of what it looks like to be on mission for Christ. It's the story of the paralyzed man. You are familiar with this story where the paralyzed man is dropped through the roof and Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Again, we read stories like this and we oftentimes, because we are familiar with it, whether we've actually read it or we just heard it in a sermon somewhere, because we're familiar with it, automatically we assign the meaning of the, of the, of the, of the, of the story that we read. Automatically we say that's just about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Isn't Jesus so powerful? And that's where we walk away. And we sometimes miss some key points, some key elements that are surrounding the story. In fact, what I'd like you to do as we, as we read through this story, what I'd like you to do is picture yourself as one of the characters in the story. Maybe you're observing or maybe you're actually a part of this story. Look what it says in starting Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So Luke tells us basically who's in attendance at this church service. He says people have come. They've come from all over the place. And then he, spe- he gets very specific. There were some Pharisees and some teachers of the law. Like there were some religious people there, okay? Verse 18. And the power of the Lord was with, was with Jesus to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Let me just pause here for a second on, my, on, the, on the message that I'm speaking here but, and talk a little bit about what that means, about the power of the Lord was there. Again, do you, do you realize what you're, what's, what's going on here this morning? We're in here, and there might be some of you sitting here this morning that for you, being at church is just this checkbox. You just check it off. I went to church on Sunday. But this, what's happening right now is much more than that. The reason why we do this every single Sunday and the reason why I, I, you know, I spend time praying and under, trying to discern what God wants me to speak on on Sunday, what, the reason why our worship pastor spends time preparing for the worship and, and, and rehearsing and doing all the stuff that they do is because we're believing for the power of the Lord to be present. We believe that when believers come together and they come together with an expectancy to receive from God, they do receive from God. And so like in this story, the power of the Lord was there present and he was healing sick people. Verse 19. Uh, Sorry, let me go back. Verse 18. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried... Some men came came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus discerns that this man has a need, and his need is obvious to, obviously to walk, but Jesus discerns that his need is actually probably more profound than that. He needs a relationship with God. He needs to be forgiven of his sins, so Jesus basically forgives his sins. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 21, Pharisees kind of have something to say about this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. So this is a warning to all of us about what we think. Okay? Like it might be, I'm not Jesus, obviously, but Jesus knows all things. I'm not Jesus, but I can imagine. I'm up here speaking, and you're listening, and you're giving me the the courtesy face. Oh, nice sermon, Rich. But inside you're saying, you're an idiot, Rich. 
I don't like what you're saying. You're dumb. What, what are you talking about? So, so be, beware of that because I may not know, but Jesus knows, okay? All right. He's, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Pharisee and teacher of law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It amazes me sometimes when there's God activity happening that there are some people that can get so caught up on the, on the non-essential stuff. On the stuff that's really, and they miss God's activity. Because they're so worried about, does he have authority to forgive sin? While there's a, a paralyzed man here being entered into, entering into the kingdom of heaven. His sins are being forgiven. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Remember, careful what you think. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And we read this story and we conclude, yep, just another story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. I'm not paralyzed, so I guess it doesn't apply to me. But we miss the surroundings of the story. The fact that four friends brought Jesus, I mean, brought this paralyzed man to Jesus, right? And so as we read the story, as we go through these points here, what I'd like you to do is to put yourself in this story. Imagine that you are one of these four, four friends who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. First thing you see about, this, about these men is that they had, they had compassion for a hurting friend. See, these guys understood that they had a mission to accomplish, and that that mission started with being perceptive of needs around you. Let me just go a little bit further. It's actually being perceptive that, or, or understanding that life doesn't circle around me. That my relationship with God is not just all about me and my needs and my family's needs and what I want. But opening up our eyes to those outside of us. Understanding that there are people in our oikos, in our network, in our, in our sphere of influence that have needs and we move with compassion towards them. And so these, these guys, they, they get that. They see that they have a friend who has a need and, and they, can, they, they decide to basically bring this friend to Jesus. Now the truth is that when you open up your mind to the needs around you, here's the problem, is it gets messy. I mean, if you just right now, if you just pause for a second and think about people that you know that have a significant need, probably the one consuming idea that you've had is, should I get involved? If I get involved, I got to do this and this and that, and I'm going to get messy. I, and I've got enough mess in my own life, I don't need to get, add more mess to it, but, but if I get involved, I have to do this, this, and that. It may cost me money, it's going to cost me time, it's going to cost me who knows what else. But here's what you need to get. That when you came to Christ, Christ got messy with you. And when he left heaven and came down to earth, he got his hands dirty messing with you and me. 
I challenge you to think about somebody that's in your, in your sphere. Maybe it's a person who's in crisis right now. Maybe their marriage is struggling. Maybe, maybe they're struggling with an addiction that they just can't seem to break. And it might seem like it's just a lot of work to try to get involved and try to help this person, but here's what you need to understand, that God calls us on a mission, and it starts with being perceptive of the needs of those around us and being willing to get our hands dirty. Second thing we see here is that these friends had faith that Jesus, would make a, that Jesus could make a difference. They had faith. I've read this story, I mean, for 35 years I've been reading the Bible, and for most of the years I've read the Bible at least one time through each year. <clears throat> And it's only until recently that I caught the nuance of this particular verse. Here it says in, in Luke 5.20, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. Not the paralyzed man's faith. The friend's faith. When Jesus saw their faith, it moved him to forgive the sins of the paralyzed man. Maybe this paralytic guy was feeling hopeless. Maybe he had no faith at all. We don't know. Maybe he did have faith. We're not sure. But maybe he didn't. Maybe in his hopelessness, maybe he felt like, I've been doing this. I've been in this, in this condition of uh, uh, being a paralyzed person in this condition for so long that I just don't know that anything's ever going to change. In fact, maybe his theology was such that he believed that God kind of allowed this thing to happen to him, that this is why he's in this condition. But Jesus sees something. He sees their faith. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that that feels hopeless. Maybe they've gone through trouble and difficulty and challenge in their life and they just don't know if they're ever going to break free from it. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, you know, relational difficulties. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. We just went through the series, you know, Love is Hard, where we talk a lot about relational dynamics. And so many people find themselves in this hopeless, hopeless situation. And so sometimes we need to come alongside and just have faith for them. Have faith and believe that God can do something in their life. I can have faith for you. You can have faith for me. In fact, Romans 1.12 says this. I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me. My faith will help you. Paul is talking about you know, imparting spiritual gifts and the spiritual gift he's talking about is having faith for that other person and then that other person having faith. And you know what? That happens here every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, we make an invitation. We invite you to come up and pray. Maybe you, to, to respond to the message. Maybe God is challenging you and, and calling you or inviting you out of something. We invite you. We, we invite you up. And what's happening is we're inviting you up to a, to a group of people that say, I'm gonna have faith for you. I'm going to have faith that God can change your life, that God can change your circumstances. Third thing we see is that they brought him to Jesus. They didn't just talk about Jesus. They didn't just tell him about Jesus. They literally bring him to Jesus. You know, here at Life Church, we go to extreme lengths to basically make this place inviting. Uh, you know, make it a place where you can come and feel at home and welcome. In fact, we, we use language here all the time, welcome home, because that's what we want this to be, a place where you feel welcome, where you feel at home. Sometimes we, we take out newspaper ads and we, uh, you know, we um, um, invite people to Christmas services or we invite them to Easter services. In fact, how many of you saw our, our Easter? We had this, uh, this table cling that was in the... In the in, the, at the food court in the mall. How many saw that table clean this year? 
Wow. Okay, Chris, like a half a dozen. That's it. We're not going to do it next year. It didn't, wasn't effective. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many of you saw that table clean? Just raise your hand. I know you sometimes were like embarrassed. And like, so we saw the table clean. It was inviting the, our Easter service at Life Church. Um, we do that all the, time, all, all the time, trying to get people to come. But here's the deal. You know what the most effective way of bringing something to Jesus is? One-on-one invitation. When you basically reach out to a friend and say, hey, you know what, man, I know what you're going through. I know what's going on in your life. Why don't you come with me to church? Why don't you come alongside me and we'll, we'll just go there and I believe that God can do something in your life. That's the most effective way of bringing people to Jesus. In fact, I hear the story all the time. I invited my friend. She sat in service. She wept through the whole service. It's as if you were reading her mail and now God has just transformed her life. I've heard that, that so many times as you bring people to Jesus. <clears throat> See, when you identify a person and pray for them and then bring them to Christ, that's where true impact really happens. It was 1980. Um, Amelia, I'm going to throw a name out there. Amelia Irene Villalta, that's her name. That's my mother's name, Amelia Irene Villalta. Um, she goes by Irene, so we'll just refer to her as Irene. <laughs> And um, in 1980, Irene immigrated to the United States from the country of Panama with her five sons, ages five through 17. We landed in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I mean, we were a, a motley crew. Life was hard for Irene. She, she was doing her best. She was a brilliant woman, but she really suffered a lot of abuse from an alcoholic husband, my dad. And so she did, was doing her best to basically raise us and to, and to help us have a, a, a real future in life. And so, so she, she, she worked two jobs. She was a secretary during the day. And then at night, she worked for a doctor's office where she would do transcribing. And um, she just spent a lot of hours, all of this basically, to try to take care of her kids. She was a hard worker. When we moved here, we, um, we moved in to, with my uncle in Duncanville, Texas, uh, so this is a typical Latino style kind of thing, you know, you, you get my uncle who has, it's a family of five, and then my grandmother, and my mom, and us five boys, another a family of seven, we just all got together in this tiny little three-bedroom, one-bathroom house. <laughs> he, it was chaos. I mean, it was absolute chaos. We were constantly bumping into each other. The, the, the whole floor became a bed at night, you know, I mean, that's, that's what it was like. And... Uh, and I remember one time my mom said, you know, we, we need to get out of the house. <laughs> so she said, we're going to take a walk to the local convenience store, convenience store called Mr. M's. And she brought us five boys along and we were walking towards Mr. M's. And she saw a little sign on the way to Mr. M's. With a little, the sign said, Memorial Assembly of God Church. And it was an arrow pointing up the hill. And at that moment she said, we're going to go to the church there on Sunday. I wasn't that interested in going to church, actually. The, the truth was I, I had never been, I'd been to church very much at all. And the way I thought about church was like, you know, it's just a bunch of women that go to church. So I don't want to go to church, you know. That's what I thought. <clears throat> and so, uh, but we went, you know, I'm 17 years old. And a 17-year-old boy cannot tell his Latino mom, no, I'm not going to go to church. Because, yeah, a 30-year-old man can't tell his Latino mom he's not going to go to church, you know. So, so I... I I, I said, okay, we're, we're, we went, and 
it wasn't that, I wasn't that moved. In fact, it was kind of weird for me because I'd never been in a Pentecostal church before. And so, you know, I was like, what is up with all those people raising their hands and then kneeling down and raising their hands and then singing songs like that and whatever, you know, I just got kind of weirded out by it. Um, and so, and so we, we went to church and that, that was it. We went home. And I have, to, I have to tell you, it would have ended there for us, except for Sister Sleep. Leota Sleep. You don't even know who she is. She's never written a book. She's not listed in any history books. But she was a friend my family needed. She looked at me, us five boys and my tired mom and just had compassion on us. And it didn't end there. She said, we got to do something. So she started coming to our house every week and would pray for, pray for the family. And then she would, uh, sometimes she'd come in not only with prayer, but she'd come with groceries too because she saw, you know, the, the state that we were in. She had belief that Jesus could make a difference as she looked at us. We were a motley crew. We were lost. We needed Jesus desperately. And she believed that Jesus could change our life. She didn't stop there. She didn't just simply tell us about Jesus. She actually brought us to Jesus. Sister Sleep, for a year and a half, would get in her 1975 Granada, drive across town in Duncanville to the project site of Duncanville, and pick my family up and take us to church on Sunday morning and take us back home after church, then come back Sunday night, take us back to church Sunday night, then come back on Wednesday night and take us to church and drop us off. For a year and a half until I got my driver's license. <laughs> she went to great lengths. She climbed to the roof of this, figurative, figuratively speaking, to the roof of this church, dug a hole through the roof and dropped us down so that Ricky Green could come to know Jesus Christ. I've been in a lot of places. Been a missionary in Bangladesh. We've served as pastor here. We've been pastors in Louisiana. We've experienced a lot of things in Christ, but none of that, none of that would have happened except for Leota Sleep, who did everything she could to bring a friend to Jesus. Why am I talking about this? Because in this room right now, there are probably a couple hundred Leota sleeps. People who need to be inviting a friend and bring them to, to the foot of the cross so they can experience life. It's a dangerous journey. People might reject you. People might make fun of you. But it's the only mission worth living. So I just want to challenge you. In fact, I want you to just do a little math right now. Imagine if every adult in Life Church decided, I'm going to bring one person to Jesus this year. And you brought them to church. By this time next year, we'd be a church of 1,600 plus. Now let's just extend that out. Let's say we did that every year for the next five years. Do you realize that we're talking about 25 thousand people 
in five years. Just by you and I saying, God, we're on mission for Christ. We're called to be on mission. We're called to do everything we can. To, to I know it's about digging a hole and dropping him down, you know, through the roof. But how about just crossing the street in your neighborhood? How about inviting that colleague at work out for lunch? How about going to your mom and, or dad and saying, Mom, Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry that our relationship is so distant. We can change the world if we live a life on mission. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> going to pray here in a minute and I'm just going to challenge you we're called to do more than just sit and punch the clock we're called to be more than just I'm a Christian and I go to church each and every one of us are invited to this great adventure a life of mission. And so what I'm asking you to do is simply this. Say, okay, God, help me reach one person this year. Help me bring them to Jesus. Just one. I mean, it's not a huge ask. Just one. It's not a huge ask because, yeah, it's just one, but here's, a, here's what, what makes it huge. By the end of this year, there might be somebody whose life can be completely transformed because you made a decision to not sit anymore, to jump into the game, to be on mission. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you, and after we pray, we're going to dismiss, but, but I just, I, I'm just in, I'm feeling challenged. I'm feeling like God is challenging all of us to, not, to no longer just be come and see, but be go and tell of what Christ has done in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you for this church. Father, for the heart that this church has for reaching people who are lost and disconnected, people who need you, Father. God, would you help us collectively, Lord, to take on the mission, to live a life of mission. To Lord, to never to, to, to see our neighbors, Lord God, whether they're across the street or whether they're friends that we know, Father, from child, whatever. God, help us to see them with compassion and not just have compassion on them, but Lord, bring them along to your place, to your feet, that you might change their life. So God, will you put in our minds the person that we need to be talking to, the person we need to invite, and will you help us, Lord God, to live a life on mission? In Jesus' name.